Welcome back, Clocks on the Stove. We had a banger of a UFC card last night, two two nights ago, excuse me. Um, last UFC card of 2023, and uh, it lived up to the hype, some would say. Some wouldn't say. I don't know. Let's see where your sum lays. Episode 115, myself, usual host, Grayson Fisher with me, the one and only, Zachariah Watts. Uh, let's dive on into this thing, Zach. Uh, the the opening prelim fight, not our early prelims, but the opening prelim. Uh, actually, I think it's the second prelim. Cody Garbrandt fights Brian Kelleher and gets a pretty pretty nice vicious knockout in the first round in the opening round. Um, and then you know, in pretty humble Cody fashion, goes on to you know give credit and and respect to Kelleher, saying you know I've been in his shoes, I know what it's like to like. You know, be on a losing streak and trying to get back in it. I hope nothing but the best for the guy. You know, it's definitely see that this journey in his weird career for Garbrandt is definitely, you know, playing a factor in making him a better person now. Um, not that he was a bad guy. It's just, you know, he's he's he realizes he's, he's not immortal. But he called out um, Devison Figueroa, and I like that fight a lot. Yeah. I mean, do I like – uh, I mean, Cody has a chance. Like, I give him a chance in any fight. I just don't know what Cody, like, is going to bring to the table any given night. Uh, he's looked great as of late. Uh, I think this fight was really good for him. You know, he's towards the later end of his career. So, if anything, he probably wants to make one more push towards the title shot. So, with that win, I think the best way to do that is to build momentum. And who other than to beat a top guy like Davison Figueredo in another division. But he's still trying to, like, confirm his place as he... Uh, moves up because Figueredo hasn't had a fight yet at 135. Oh, yeah, he backed out. Yeah, so if his welcoming to Bantamweight is Cody Garbrandt, I mean, on one end, it's hard to tell where Davison really's at, but I feel like Cody's going to show him enough to to where we'll know his skill set at 135. Like he'll be tested, uh, especially in the striking department, because um, I know flyweight's chins are built different, but you're built different at 125. At 135, they tend to hit a little harder. Yeah, I think I think Garbrandt's a better technical fighter. Like I think he is a better fighter than Figueroa, but Figueroa can catch him, and Figueroa's fast as shit. Scrappier fellow, I'll say that. Davis and Figueroa is a scrappy little bastard, to say the like, least. Like like you were saying about Cody Garbrandt, it depends on which Cody shows up. The thing is, is like even when he's bad, he, his skill level is still there. It's just his it's his head. It's just you know like he, he every time he fights. He is a um, pure talent and level of skill as being a fighter. He is the top notch. It just depends on how he is here. Yeah. And like I said, like anytime we go over fights, like we know what we've seen out of fighters. That's how we make our predictions because we know what their skill set is. But you can never tell what someone's mental is going into a fight. Like we saw with, we saw literally, we'll talk about it later in the card, but Bryce Mitchell even talked about it. He was like, I fought like a pussy. He's like, I fought timid. And he's like, I can't win like that. And like, he knows it. Everyone else knows it. But like, you don't know how you're going to show up. But hindsight's always twenty twenty. But regardless, great win for Cody. He showed out in the best way possible. Put away a guy who should have minded his business and not said the wrong name. Because hopefully Brian Keller learns from his mistakes and just stops calling out guys that are significantly better than him for a payday. Because, I mean, look, Cody's a draw still in his career, I think, even, even if it's yeah, a little he's got, bit. He's got a good fan base. Yeah, it'll still get Brian Kelleher a paycheck, but I don't think it's worth the paycheck, buddy. 
Like I stole your role. Anyway, the next fight after that, uh, we had a women's fight. And honestly, I feel like I'm going to go on a little rant here, but I'm going to try to like summarize it very shallowly. The whole discourse on social media when it comes to sports takes are so annoying due to it's so based on engagement farming or just trying to troll that like if you try to hold anyone's word against them, they'll just say that A, they were trolling or B, it's engagement farming. So they have plausible deniability in any of their takes. They could just say like, oh, well, I didn't mean it, yada, yada. And it annoys me so much because there are people that will go on Twitter and fully believe that women women's fights are so boring and they're not enjoyable and like they should like not have in the UFC or like zero women fight should be on UFC 300. I'm going to literally give you five names off the top of my head. Well, maybe not five, but from what I'm thinking, what I have in my head already of who you should watch fight anytime. Uh, Zong Lee fights anytime Rose fights. I mean, I know she had that one fight, which, um, Joanna, but I don't know. She didn't retire. Did she? Retired, yeah. But go watch her old fights. Yeah, but for sure, anytime Zongwei Lee fights, that's a man fighting, so you might as well tune in. There are women in the – oh, Aaron Blanchfield comes to mind, Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko, like now that they're coming to me. But if you watch these women fights, yes, there's a lot of mediocrity with some of the lower ranks and like women that aren't as exceptional as some of the other women in the division – but the cream of the crop for the women's divisions are badasses and they can put on a show any given night. I can promise you that. And I really enjoy watching it. So I wish people would stop talking so down on it. And the reason why I bring this up is because literally on this card, um, Aldana fought, uh, Irene Rosa. Aldana fought Car Carol Rosa. Yeah. And I don't know if you watched the fight. I did. Holy shit. These women were banging. They were throwing, bro. They were throwing bombs. It was straight like they didn't even consider taking each other down for a moment it was just you had on one end i believe it was rosa was chopping the shit out of aldana's legs oh no aldana was aldana, and aldana was killing her with body shots yeah so because what i saw early was rosa was landing mean leg kicks, mean leg, leg kicks the inside like, leg kicks yeah and the commentary booth everyone knew it they're like i don't they're like we don't think our leg is going to survive like the entire fight but every time she took a leg kick, she always landed a combination. Like oh, a right after. Dude, and then right in the after. third round, she kept having Rosa back up, and she was just hitting the body, like working the body. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, it was – and after the fight, they posted that photo together, um, like showing each other respect, and they were so banged up. And dude, like it was fucking awesome. Dude, that's a fight that's like – you want to watch MMA? Like this is a fucking fight right here. Yes, yes. Like introducing someone to MMA, it's like, hey, you've never – like. You're or like you're in MMA, you don't really know much about like women's division or women's fighting. Like this yeah. is this is what you can get yourself into. And there's it, a lot of guys out there in the world that shit talk women's MMA, and they would not have stand there for 15 minutes and thugged it out like those girls did. Oh, not a chance, not a chance. But regardless, I wanted to give my flowers where credit was due. But moving on to our next couple fights because I didn't really care a lot for the Alonzo Menafield Dustin Jacoby fight I really I loved that fight I'm, dude that was one of the few ones of the night where like I mentally like tuned out like I wasn't as engaged with some of the other fights because I mean when you come off a banger like you're like coming off a high from the Cody Carbrandt win and then you watch a banger like that like I need a break to either like eat dude, food. this one was a banger too though I know, but I had to pick one to I had to pick one to mentally check out of, and unfortunately, this was. All the right, one. I'll break it down. 
I like Justin, Justin Jacoby a lot because he fought in glory. Um, he actually fought Alex Pereira when he was there. Mm-hmm. And the first round, he just picks him apart from the outside, like good stiff jabs that are bringing his head back, like little teep kicks, um, you know, just keeping him out of range. And then at the very end of the first round, Menafield rocks him with one punch. Dustin Jacoby gets like like a minute of just like oh, trying to survive. And then he's good. Second round, Jacoby's piecing him, rocking him, rocking him. Halfway through, boom, drop to his feet like a corpse. He recovers. Menafield starts beating his ass. Third round, same thing. Jacoby's winning, winning, winning. Boom, Menafield drops him again. Because it's like Jacoby's five punches was equivalent to one punch of Menafield. Yeah. Because he just throws nukes. And Jacoby fights with his chin up in the air. From what I remember of the fight, I want to say it was Jacoby who opened up the third or finished the second kind of strong or after he was getting his ass beat. And then his gas tank ran out. And Manafield, since he was not throwing high volume, but he was landing all his power shots, finally was able to like, all right, now you're the one running for your life. I'm going to start throwing my bombs. It was a good fight, dude. Yeah. Unfortunately, that was the only one I really like mentally checked out of, so I didn't get to see it. But Manafield did pick up the win. So that's good. But moving on to our next one. Our pay-per-view. Our pay-per-view, our main event. Uh, this was supposed to be, I believe, Josh Emmett versus... Or no, it was supposed to be Vincent Luque versus Ian Gary. Yeah, and then Josh Emmett was supposed to fight Jakazdi. Uh, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Jakazdi. But anyway, Ian Gary's situation happened. I'm, we're not going to add on that anymore. We'll dunk on him at a later date. But... Um, Josh Emmett, Bryce Mitchell sets up on late notice, taking on Josh Emmett. We were fully convinced that if Josh Emmett lost, this was going to be his retirement fight. He knew that if he didn't have it anymore, he was just going to call it wraps, like no harm, no foul. It is what it is. And we were fully prepared for that because, in my opinion, going into the fight, I thought Bryce Mitchell's grappling was just going to be too much. I thought he was going to forward pressure nonstop and Emmett was going to try to throw some bombs and Bryce would have had it. I saw the complete opposite. I saw a timid Bryce Mitchell like falling for feints, always no, fighting. He started, as soon as the fight started, he was in a back step. He didn't, yeah. he didn't try to press forward once. Yeah. And he broke down his game plan after the fact. He said in his mind, he was going to try to work his jab and then hopefully be able to like turn that into uh, his grappling and ground exchanges. Only problem was, is he was waiting too much and he was fighting very timidly because he was waiting for Josh to throw and try to counter fight. And then he, he said after the fact, he's like, why he's like watching it back. I did die, but because <laughs> he did get murdered. Like yeah. that was one of the worst knockouts I've ever seen. I've never seen a man go into blunt force seizures before yeah. after a fight. And it sounded one like one punch too, dude. Yeah. One punch, one punch. And it sounded like a baseball bat made contact with his orbital and he just fell flat. Like worst I've ever seen. You guys watching it on my, uh, I, I had a, a football game on, I think on the TV. And yeah. I'm watching it on my laptop, and it's just one of those like my jaw just dropped. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Oh yeah, it sucks to see Emma in the post fight interview. Like, dude, that's not like like we want the knockout, but we don't like knocking people out. Yeah, you know? and, like that's what he's trying to talk about. People are like, well, you yelled in his face right after. Like, yeah, dude, in the moment he didn't know Bryce Mitchell was going to be a corpse. Like he had his brain didn't have time to like recognize it. He just got hyped up. And then he walks over and you see him talking to his coach and he looks back and then he instantly is like, shit. He sees a seizure in the yeah. And then he's like, oh, I may have killed a man on national television in front of four. He's about to be a father. Yeah. 
Bro, Bryce killed me because right after he's like, yep, yeah, I'm uh, back to building my barn. Uh, I don't remember anything. And it's like, yeah, uh, I don't think you'd want to remember that. But golly, what a vicious knockout. And as you can see, but that goes back to the point we were talking about earlier. Like, you just don't know what version of yourself is going to show up any given night. But regardless, amazing knockout. And it kind of leads me to one of the points I want to talk about. So this was our last card of 2020. I got one thing. Yeah, what's up? What, what do you think is up for the future for both these guys? I think you reschedule the fight with Josh Emmett and Jigga Chikotsky. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I don't think this fight really hurts Bryce Mitchell the way that we think it does. I yeah, mean, the bomber got knocked out, which is bad, but he took it on two weeks' notice. It hurt him physically. That, that, yeah, yeah, off his life. I can, yeah, but I don't, I don't think you really like discredit him in the rankings, really. He got caught, fight, he fought a guy on two weeks' notice who has one punch knockout power. Like, that shit happens. Yeah. I mean, you can say that on one end, but at, at, like on the other end of things, like a loss is a loss in my opinion. We took like, it on two weeks' notice, bro. And that was his decision to take. Like, there's a re like there's a reason why. Like, like yes, you will get respected a ton by the fans, and the fans will love you for it. Morally, great decision. Everyone loves you for it. Business and rankings wise, it's a loss. Like, yeah, but I don't think you drop him that much. Probably not because Josh Emmett's still a ranked guy. Like, there's nothing. Yeah, to Josh Emmett's really... still a dog. He was just yeah. fighting for a title. He just fought for the title. Yeah, uh, two fights ago. Yeah. So, regardless, I I do think he drops a tad, just not very like not super impactful. That's just the only way I see it. But that kicked off our main card. So after we were all starstruck after a man died, uh, we got to watch a dead man try to continue his fighting career as Tony Ferguson fought Patty the Batty, uh, Pimblet. And, you know, I don't think I've ever, like, just not cared for a fighter more than Patty Pimblett. Like, I really just don't care for his height. I think it's crazy, his, his like, rise to fame and then fall off. Like, last year, like, la yeah, like a year ago, this kid was the most talked about guy in MMA. And now nobody, like, I didn't even know he was fighting until a couple weeks ago. His fall off yeah. is insane. I mean... It's kind of unfortunate because the way that Dana was trying to build the hype train, like Jared Gordon wasn't supposed like no one yeah, thought he wasn't supposed to be Patty. So when Pat like when Patty got the like bullshit victory, all that did was piss fans off and get them mad at Patty, even though it wasn't really in his control to have that That's decision. Yeah. But now what's emerged is Jared Gordon's actually like a legit fighter. Like yeah. Jared, Jared Gordon is legit. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, maybe Patty does need to go through this kind of like put like no one really like respects him or recognizes him and it'll allow him to kind of like tally on just like bs fights whatnot oh my god i think my computer's gonna die um but regardless i still think that like this fight didn't really do anything for patty we talked about it beforehand that was a lose -lose situation yeah, it was a lose lose situation but like regardless his like technique didn't look great like he, didn't, he didn't look like he improved at all. Yeah, at all. I mean, dude, his nose got busted up. Like, let's call it what it is. Like, you know, and and I'm gonna get a lot of hit shit for this, but like, I'm gonna I'm gonna be completely honest. Tony has terrible fight IQ. Now, the reason why he has bad fight IQ is because he's dangerous enough to finish you from anywhere, and he knows that. But at the same yeah. time, it's not good fight IQ. Like when you're just sitting there trying to elbow Patty and like work from the guard, I understand like. That's good for a short time scenario. It's not good for four minutes. You know, like there's, you got to work to get up. And th there was a couple of times it was like, 
he was winning the exchanges, winning the exchanges, and then would do something stupid that would like completely just cancel out what was happening. And I'm just like, bro, like he has no fight IQ. Patty didn't look like anything spectacular at all. To think about guys like Michael Chandler and Islam and Gaethje and Dustin Poirier in the same division as him is insane thinking that he thinks he could fight those guys. Um, but overall, it was pretty much what we thought we were going to see. Yeah. I had awesome seeing David Goggins say, you got to be you, Tony. You got to be you. Like, yeah. I don't think he was trying to be anybody else, David. I think he was – I think he was pretty damn Tony Ferguson, brother. Yeah, but uh, see, here's what bothers me is because, like, Tony brings him into his camp. And, like, from Goggins' point of view, I doubt Goggins was like, let me corner you. Like, yeah. like that. Tony probably brought him on, and he's expecting Goggins to provide him some help. But, dude, you're in a fight. What the fuck can Goggins say? Other <laughs> yeah. Shit? You want Goggins to be like, oh, yeah, you're really you're really not doing well from the bottom position. I need you to transition, uh, even though I you know 10 times more than me in any facade of fighting <laughs> other than actual, like, war. Like, what wh- what are we expecting? Like, what are we really expecting out of him? But, you know, we talked about the whole week leading up, and I think someone summarized it perfectly about, like, where Tony kind of got lost. It, it, it's perfectly just because his fighting style just can't keep up with his age. He's always been kind of like a reflexive, like spur of the moment fighter who relied mostly on his athleticism and his speed and his um, just intangibles to kind of like win fights. Like you couldn't plan for Tony. The problem is, is he's lost. So, like I would say he lost a step, but honestly, the dude's fell falling down the fucking stairs at this yeah. point. Like, he also relied on on being able to take a lot of damage. And yes. you can only do that for five fights max to the way he well, was. Doing. When you get absolutely put through hell with Justin Gaethje and then Michael Chandler physically removes your soul with his left foot. Yeah. You're not going to be able to fight anymore. And like, we like, if this was, if he would have fought Patty probably like six fights earlier, he doesn't even get like rocked by any, like any of the shots that Patty throws. But now you really see his chin health diminish so much. Like he's just not able to stand fights as much. Now, no one's ever questioned his quit. Like the dude never quits. He's a dog. Yeah. He's a dog. We all know this. Yeah, He's a dog. But sometimes the dog has to be brought out back like old Yeller and just put a bullet in him. Like, yeah, dude, I don't know what the fuck they're going to do with him now. You got you got to feed him to the just best striker and just hopefully you kill him in the octagon. You got to you got to uh, you got to <laughs> kill Tony. <laughs> you got to kill, kill Tony, dude. You have to physically kill him because he'll never he will never admit he's done. <laughs> Physically kill him. All right, Tony, you're on an 11 fight losing streak. Uh, Steven Thompson just dropped down to 155. So um, we're giving you one opportunity. You have to fight Cyril Ghana heavyweight. What do you say? He's like, I'm with, I'm with it, brother. He's like, six fights in the title. Yeah. <laughs> no, now it's seven fights in the title. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on, brother. I'm bulking. <laughs> but regardless, Tony, please retire. We're yeah, begging. For the love of God, please. I've never been. I've never begged more for a retirement fight in my entire uh, life. But um, regardless, one of the points I wanted to touch on earlier that I completely forgot about, and I want to talk about it now, dude. This was the last part of 2023. Yes or no? Like no fight nights, no anything like that. Yeah, like, no, it was last part overall, yeah. Okay. Why don't the UFC awards take place now? Yeah, I know that doesn't make any sense. Because the way I see it is you have no more fights after this. You literally have all the fights in the calendar year. 
And then you can just do the voting based off that. Because I promise you, Josh Emmett would have won knockout of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. 100%. Easily. Sean probably would have won fighter of the year just based off the events that occurred last night. And he didn't even fight. Well, he fought, just not sanctioned. Like, honestly, I don't understand where the mistake was there. I feel like they just kind of like. Yeah, who sat them there? Because the UFC definitely gave them the tickets. Oh, you're talking about who sat them there? Yeah. Dana White already came out and said it. it was, he did it. He said he goes through seating every week, and he he he's like, who's the he's like, who's the asshole that sat sat them next to each other? This guy. And he was like, he's like, I don't know how I missed that. My he's like, I don't know how I missed that. I'm like, no, you did it on purpose. Yeah, he did it on purpose. Expect him to actually throw hands. He did it on purpose. Yeah. Oh, 100 percent And by the way, the people that were trying to sit there and say like. Oh, like it's like WWE. Here's the thing about the WWE. You know, he actually fucking in them. The WWE is solely entertainment based. The only downside to it is we know it's fake. This was solely for entertainment's sake, except this was not fake at all. These men were actually trying to kill each other. Yeah. Sean, Sean, Sean would have fought him in the parking lot. He didn't care where it was. Sean doesn't care about anything. Yeah. I doubt Sean. Sean would literally be like, they're like, they're like Strickland, look. If you fight any guys outside of the octagon, you will lose your belt. He's like, dude, I don't give a shit. Yeah. He's like, if he's like, like, this if man wore a white tee with jeans and his car keys on his belt buckle, on his like belt loop. Yep. That's what he wore to a UFC sitting on the front row. Yep. 100%. 100%. Like, there's no doubt. About it. man right there, man. He's, he's Trevor and GTA personified. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, it's but, crazy how in the span of one year, um, I, he went from someone I, I couldn't stand to like one of my favorite guys. Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily. Like, I, I hate him. Yeah. Cause here's the thing. He like all his kind of like the only comments that got Sean Strickland famous were his like outrageous outtakes that caused people to react to it and mostly a negative light. But once he became champion and you saw everything he does and how everything he says kind of gets magnified or he got told a little. Yeah, you realize, like, yes, the dude is a piece of shit sometimes, and he's just very abrasive and comes off the wrong way a lot of the times. But can you really blame the guy? Like, I feel like his upbringing is, like, very responsible for the way he acts. thing is, is he's genuine. Like, when he does things that are, like... He's very honest to, his, to himself. Exactly. Things that are, like, questionable, you're like, oh, he's just being an asshole. No, he's not trying to be. He's being genuine. Like, he's just being himself. And, like... For what he's come up through, he's doing a pretty damn good job of it, you know? Yeah. And one thing I loved is, so when the whole Dreykus thing went down, he literally, like, what happened was, because Gilbert Burns' wife, who was sitting in the row in between them, was literally the one blocking them. So when they put the camera on them, they show Dreykus first, then they pan to Sean. Sean does his, like, finger guns or whatever. And apparently, according to Gilbert's wife, Dreykus was like, oh, like, fight me. Like, pre like pretty much trying to egg on Sean. So Sean was like, okay. Turns around, politely asks Gilbert's kids. He's like, hey, honey, can you step out of the way for it for a moment? The moment they moved out of the way, he just jumps on top of him. Yeah, and Superman punches him, dude. Yeah, and honestly, huge respect to the fighters that were around because Jamal Hill immediately grabbed Gilbert's wife and children and kind of shielded them off. So he was trying to step in the way. But you had Volk in the vicinity. You had Jamal Hill in the vicinity. You had uh, Craig Jones in the vicinity. You had all Raymond these Allen. Yeah, all these professional fighters that could have stopped the fight, no one did shit except Chuck Liddell. Yeah, no one cared. They're like, all right, let him fight. Yeah. <laughs> 50, like 56-year-old Chuck Liddell was like, I gotta, he's like, I need to, I need to intervene. 
He's like, I need to step in here. Like, what are we doing? Like, yeah. What are we doing? Yeah, like, dude. Um, awesome. Ten out. Yeah, of 10 that was out. Aw- it was awesome. That was awesome. And Gilbert's wife like res- like gave respect to Sean. Like, yeah, he was a gentleman about it, and it wasn't his fault. Drake just egged it on. He said, "All right." He yeah. stood on business. And and the people that are like mad about it, that are like, "Oh, well, like they could have gotten hurt, and the fight would have backed out." I don't care. This is probably the best fight promo we've ever seen for a card. Well, the thing is, is that's real. Like That's Sean real. doesn't fight for like like Coach Vince talked about this the other day. He goes, Sean Strickland loves fighting more than anybody else. He doesn't fight for Instagram followers. He doesn't fight for money. He doesn't fight for like girls. He literally just wants to get in there and beat the shit out of somebody. You Dude, know, no. That's the thing is like when Dragus said Dragus didn't think he was actually gonna fight him. Like oh, he no was just talking shit. And Sean was like, all right, I don't care. He was like, all right, we can do this. Like he, yeah. Sean stands on business. Oh, 100 percent And yeah. The- the thing I love more than anything is that one video of Sean Strickland where like Keith Lee tried to talk shit to Sean and Sean's like crying tears of joy. He's like, please let me fight you. He's like, please, I want nothing more than to beat your ass. I'm like, dude, what is going on in this dude's head? Like this dude's insane. Dude, they say he spars like every day of the week. Yeah. No, someone came at him and was like, Hey, why don't you get back in the gym? And he was like, he was like, he tweeted the dude. He was like, I just spent 35 minutes wrestling the best wrestlers I've ever faced in my life. And I just spent 35 more minutes striking the best strikers I've ever striked in my life. Don't ever question my fucking work ethic. And I was like, I was like, oh, brother. I was like, like, this guy, this guy means business. Yeah, this guy's standing on business. 24-7. Oh, my God. New award. The uh, Clocks on on the Stove Standing on Business Award. Uh, Sean Strickland nominee. Uh, Our next fight, though. As we move along, we had a welterweight matchup between the undefeated Shafkat Rachmanov and the Wonder Boy Stephen Thompson. Uh, unfortunately, this went about as well as everyone thought it would. Um, Shafkat just did what he had to do to win. He but... knocked him down until he could grab him, and they killed him. <laughs> it was You're... literally like, like he just followed Stephen Thompson around until he couldn't run away anymore. And then once he got his hands on him, he just like, shh, and just yeah. killed him. I'm going to go to the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Except he probably only knows one one word, so he probably just said it like he would to a dog. He goes, lay down, lay down. <laughs> yeah. it's but, like, I'm telling you, the way I picture it, like I the best way to describe it is like he just walked around and just followed Wonder Boy. So Wonder Boy got so tired from walking around that once he got his hands on him, he just like big brothered him to the ground. <laughs> oh my God. But there are so many things about this fight that I need people to realize. Um, first off, um, Shavka, I don't know if you heard or saw, but Shavka, uh tore his ankle. Well, all right, so that's – He injured his ankles. The tearing thing's not true. You can't tear your ankle, but he injured his ankle, yeah. You saw the photos, though, right? Yeah, yeah it was fucked up. Severe ankle injury. Yeah. Doesn't tell – like, the Chad he is doesn't say anything about it, just tapes the shit out of his ankles and was like, yeah, I'm going to fight Wonderboy Thompson. Uh, doesn't complain at all, and then wrap – has to switch his game plan to primarily grappling because he said in the post fight interview he's like I would have liked to kickbox more but I literally can't stand on like my foot because if he would have gone into a kickboxing exchange with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and if he would have not saying he, I'm not saying he would have but if he did beat Wonderboy in a striking competition yeah there's a title shot no matter what yeah that's like that's terrifying yeah that's app that's the scariest thing you can imagine is you're like oh this guy you thought was a, a full-blown wrestler and was just going to wrestle fuck him, which he did. Like, he just turned into, like, the best striker alive. And, and his just, boxing is very good. Yeah, and that's what people need to realize. It wasn't like Wonder Boy. Well, he made some mistakes, obviously, but 
Wonder Boy had no opportunity in the fight to circle out. Yeah, he he hey, dude, he got his angles caught the whole fight. Shavkat stood in the perfect position the entire fight. Wonder Boy got up against the cage and was like, oh shit. And then physically could not get away. And Shavkat like, didn't rush. He never like he never like ran after Steven. He just walked. He just yeah. kept the same pace, kept walking and stalking and stalking. And then once he saw the opportunity, he got his hands on him. And and I don't think Wonder Boy's ever been submitted. No, no, he was. That was the first time ever. That was the first time ever being submitted. And I was talking to um, I was talking to one of my mom's students today, and he was like, uh, you know, it's boring. That fight was boring. The way he fights boring, this and that, da 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 da. I go, you know, he's the only guy to ever submit Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who's probably gonna go be a Hall of Famer. See, he was, he was like, yeah, and I was like, I was like, I understand that like having fans and being entertaining and making a business out of this is very important. But if you broke down every single thing that matters. And the very tip of the top number one thing is win the fight over anything else, over entertainment, over, you know, big knockout, o- o- over this and that. The number one thing is to win the fight. Yeah. It's more important than selling the fight. The number one objective is to win the fight. And that's what he did. And he did it at a very high caliber style and a very high caliber fighter. And yeah. I love the thing that you put in the notes because I agree with this 100%. Shavka is what Hamza was supposed to be. He's way better than Hamza. Oh, one billion percent. He doesn't talk shit at all. He's very just to himself. After he's finished fighting, he goes and hunts for his food up yeah. in the as he a hugged Wonder Boy like like he's such a fucking nice guy. Yeah, hundred percent. But um, I feel like I lost my train of thought. But I want to try to bring Shavka is Wonder Boy. I know. Oh my god, it was it was about, about something else, but it has something to deal. With this, Shavka is what Kamzat was supposed to be. No, it was, oh my god, you saying that like made me forget what I was gonna say. I was gonna bring up a different point. Um, Damn. but I feel like I feel like it has something to do. Oh yeah, I remember now. We've talked about this before, but I feel like people we I kind of just want to like nail the like put the nail in the coffin at this point by bringing this back up. If you are at the top of your game, fights are gonna look boring. When you are that much better than someone, the whole when you learn mixed martial arts, one of the first things they tell you is to like only like only use it for self defense. Like you're not supposed to like do anything extra. Like you're not supposed to try to like kill someone, harm someone. Like it's literally taught to you from the very basics. No one is trying to go out there and showboat and trying to like murder some. Okay, well maybe some fighters, but yeah. like true mixed martial artists, like pure mixed martial artists, do what's necessary and nothing more. Shavkat will probably never truly excite you because his method of fighting isn't, oh, I'm going to risk something and like try to get myself hurt while also trying to finish the fight. He's, I'm going to make you fight my battle and I'm going to win as like as easily as possible. Also, while taking the least amount of damage. And that's another thing that's very important that people forget about is like they love watching these brutal knockouts like Josh Emmett and stuff like that. But like your objective as a fighter is to go in there and steal as much damage as possible while taking as least damage as possible. And he took no damage. Yeah. It's literally like the reason why people wanted Demetrius Johnson out of the UFC so bad. Dude was so good that it made every fight boring. Yeah. Same thing. Same thing that happens. Like you would think you would fake if you put the two best strikers, like technical strikers, not brawlers, but technical strikers against one another. You would think 99% of the time it's going to be a banger. But a majority of the time, it ends up being like a boxing match where it's all feints. It's all who's going to fail, who's going to fall for the first feint, and they're going to get caught with something, and the fight's over. 
It's not going to be a slugfest. It's not going to be a, one little tiny error that's going to change the whole fight. It's going to change the whole fight. It's the same. It's it happens every time with Izzy and Pereira. It's never going to be a, a it's never going to be like a barn burner where like fight to the finish. It's someone is going to land one solid shot and it's game over. Yeah, and that that's going to take one step half an inch too short or half an inch too too deep. They're done. You saw with Aljamain Sterling and Sean O'Malley, overextended, caught, new champ. There you go. One like, second, one second of the fight changed the whole outcome. Whole outcome, and that's it. And that that that's what happens when you're at the top of your game. You can kind of get away with that shit, and maybe the lower divisions. Like I've seen Pantoa take 37 knees to the face and just not react. I I don't know what he's made of, but that dude terrifies me. But the higher weight you go, the least amount of mistakes you're allowed to make. Yeah, because them hands hurt. Yes, a lot. Well, I feel like Bryce didn't hurt at all. I feel like he just woke up two days later. Oh, yeah, he, he probably didn't hurt, but like definitely wasn't fun. Yeah, no, not at all. Regardless, uh, <laughs> moving on to our next fight. Um, Pantoa, who I just brought up, makes first title defense uh, over Brandon Royval. Yep. Brandon Royval, yeah. Um, I accidentally had my notes that Royval said a comment, but I'll remove that and talk to later when we talk about our other general sports news. But here's what I got from the fight. Pantoa looks to have all the skill set necessary to retain the belt in the division and sustain it for some time. It's just very hard to tell in the flyweight division because all of them are very similar. They're like, I feel like every time I watch them, they're all good strikers. They all have good sprawling. They all have good clinch work. Like they, they are all like interchangeable. It feels like it just feels like someone gets the better of them a certain night. Pan, the only thing that sets Pantoa bar about everyone else in the division is I literally cannot see this guy getting sh- like wobbled. It doesn't matter what you hit him with. The dude just walks through it. He, he fights as if getting knocked out isn't a possibility. And that's terrifying because for every fighter, you have some caution in the back of your mind. That's telling you like, Oh, I can't press that far forward or, Oh, I need, I need to be like cautious going into this. Like you're very aware of it. It may not be like the forefront of your game plan, but you're aware of it that you could be knocked out. Pantoa doesn't care. He will let you throw whatever, he'll get hit by whatever, and he'll return something twice as hard. Because we saw him, we saw him eat, I think, a was it a spinning uh elbow and a knee in the fight, and just nothing happened. Nothing happened. Dude, he's also super, super technical on top. And I know like in the second and third round, it was a little boring with the grappling to people, but like if you understood what he was doing, like the way he gets under both arms and half guard and completely gets rid of Roval's arms on, on the ground and just crushing him with shoulder pressure. And then he locks up Roval's leg and the reverse half guards him to slowly sneak out his leg. Like that is so high level. Like he took no damage there where when you saw in the Patty fight, when they were in that position, Patty got worked by Tony. The only thing about Pantoa is, his cardio is not bad. It's his pace that's bad. He came out sprinting in the first two rounds, like literally going so fast. In the fifth round, he was gassed. Yeah. And he just got to learn how to, like, I, I understand that part of that too is like, I mean, I, it literally was what happened to me in my last fight. You get so, like, amped up and ready to go. You just want to go, you know? But, like, when you're fighting five rounds, you can't do that, dude. That's 20, that's a 30 minutes in the octagon. It's a long time. But yeah. I think he's very solid. He proved to me how good he was. Some people were saying Roval won that fight, which I don't even see how you would say that. Um, but 
he he is he's very good. I thought when he beat Moreno, it was like, oh, you know, they're trying to get the belt moving, but no, he he's extremely technical, dude. Yeah. Uh I think he'd be good if he held the belt for a while. I, I don't like when belts are just getting thrown around. It yeah, me neither. Kind of just like it loses its like value for championship fights just because like you know that like there's not it's not as much on the line. Yeah, there's not like you just feel like oh passing the torch again, like anyone can beat anyone. It is what it is. But Regardless, it was an entertaining co-main event, and it was a million times better than what we got for our main event. But let's just jump right into it. Leon Edwards gets a decision whenever Colby Covington, 49-46, unanimous decision. Colby, after the fight, thought that he had won the fight, even though he obviously didn't. Um, I don't see how you could argue that at all. I think he low key, you could low-key say he lost every round but the fifth, but I, you could give, I would, I'd probably give him the fourth and fifth, maybe. Yeah, I'd probably give him the fourth. Like I'm like when one I was, through three, no, no way he won one through three. Yeah, yeah. He got taken the, down in the third. The fourth one, the way I was watching, I was like, Leon probably got that, but I was like, oh, Colby could have got it. Like, like yeah. kind of situation. But Leon took him down in the third round. Took him down twice, dude. Have you seen the memes? That's like Colby's wrestling credentials: NCAA All American, two time Pac Ten champion. This, 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 this. It's like uh, Leon's wrestling credentials. 17-year-old mom brings him to a gym in Birmingham. <laughs> but it's true. Honestly, here's here's how I kind of viewed the fight. Um, I, I should have anticipated more that Colby's ring rust was going to be worse than it was. I always try to avoid that fact. But it, it is true about everyone. When you don't fight for a while, it does make an impact on how you game plan. It affects how you return to fights. Like, when you take that significant amount of time off, it's not that easy to just go back in as if nothing happened. Especially when you're 35. Especially when you're 35. Here's how I viewed the fight as it was happening. I thought Leon's game plan was fully set on Colby was going to pressure with wrestling. So he was very much fighting. So like trying to counter punch, take his time, kill him with leg kicks, try to stop his front leg, slow Colby down as much as possible. It looked like Colby wanted to bang in the early rounds and try to stand up and fight with him. And it took him way too long to realize that Leon was way too technical for him, way too fast for him, and simply just a better, like a better fighter at this point in his career. I feel like if he would have came out earlier with the wrestling, it may have been more in his favor because, look, I feel like he welcomed losing the takedowns. Like instead of fighting certain positions, because I felt like he could have fought longer during the Leon takedown, but I feel like he gave up the takedown because he knew his sprawl, his sprawling was so good that he had the opportunity to reverse the positions, get back on top and try to do some ground and pound damage. I could try to see where that would work in his favor. The only problem is, is Leon did a very good job of anytime he took his shot, I believe it was in the third and the fifth round, or maybe it was the third and the fourth round. But when he took his shots, they were so late in the round that even if Colby was able to work out of it and get on, a top position, there wasn't enough time to do any significant damage and Leon already had secured the round. So Leon's game plan or adjustment, I should say for the rounds moving forward was beautiful. Once he realized Colby was trying to stand and strike, he moved, he moved up with his kicks rather than chop the leg anymore. He went for the body that caused Colby. You saw that kind of meme of like his like stance, like, Oh, like new stand yeah. shot. What people don't understand was what Colby's trying to do in that situation is he's bringing in his arm so he can use his elbow to deflect the body kick. He's trying to stop the teep kick with his elbow so he doesn't take as much damage and so that he can kill, still keep his hand up enough to fight. Only problem is that makes you strictly a striker from then on out. 
your wrestling's gone. You you saw it in the second round when he like tried to at least show it, where like just lean forward and grab Leon's leg. Dude, that that was never gonna do anything. If you're gonna shoot, shoot for it. He's not even he doesn't even care at this point because you haven't showed him anything that would make him even scared of it. I think Colby got like was what two for something on takedowns. Yeah, I think they both got two takedowns. Yeah, they both got two takedowns, but overall, man, I just think it was a very poor showing from Colby. I think the game plan definitely wasn't there. I you would think he would come in with a different mindset considering where Leon's strength lies in and where his strength lies in. Um, but hey, man, it is what it is. You got to bounce back after this. Leon, I think what he proved to me, because a lot of the Leon, because I would never say I was a Leon hater, but I feel like when he did win the belt, he was just kind of like doing what champs do, like being a little cocky and like it just kind of like, I don't know, rub me the wrong way, I guess. But there is no denying that Leon was so good in this fight that it made Colby look significantly worse than he is. Yeah. Because I think that's the case. I don't think Colby was necessarily that bad. I think the ring rust did play a part and he wasn't as effective as he normally is, like as we saw in the Usman fights. But what I did see was a perfect Leon that Colby was never going to beat the way he came in. Like that's just plain and simple. Colby or Leon was so good. It made Colby look bad. And it's not to discredit Leon at all. And for people saying like, oh, for saying he's going to make him pay and you only got a decision, that wasn't his fault. Once he realized Colby was on the back foot, he became aggressive. But he also knew he couldn't walk into a mistake and just let Colby land a random, because that was the only chance Colby had was a wild haymaker. And he has pillow hands. Like, let's be honest, dude wasn't finishing, dude wasn't going to finish him with anything he was throwing that night. So I, I just feel like Leon won in the best way possible took the least amount of damage he could have and can turn around and defend his bell again at any time. I'm going to give my quick rundown on the Colby fight. Um, two things. One, I think Colby was a little hesitant to start shooting right away, and I think he was scared to get stuffed and then gas out because he's tried too hard in the beginning. I also think seeing that Leon has knockout power made him a little hesitant. What Leon did, and I'm tired of people shitting on Leon saying, he talked all that smack, and that's all he did. No, 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 no. Colby talked all that smack and didn't even try to go out swinging. If you're going to talk as much smack as he did, you get knocked out. Like, you you try. You go out swinging. Yeah. Um, Right off the bat, as soon as the fight started, Leon had Colby on his back foot. You can't shoot on your back foot. So he had him backing up the whole first and second round. That shut down the wrestling before the wrestling even got started. Also, dude, the precision of his striking, I don't think he throws and misses. I don't think he throws and misses ever. I think every single thing he throws lands. He gets blocked or something, but yeah. it's, it's it's hitting something. It's hitting something every – like, Colby, Colby's throwing five and two are landing. Every single thing Leon throws lands. But that's all I really got to think about it. I think Colby's a little old. I think his body's got a little wear and tear on it like Tony's does. I don't think Colby was bad. I, don't, I hate when people like let's have to talk now. He was never that good. No, I think he was. I think he's old, and I don't think he deserved that title shot. We've been saying that, you know. But I think Leon needs to get more respect. But I'm gonna be completely honest. I think Shavkat's the future of the division. Yeah. I think Shavkat is the future. Yeah, dude. Oh my god. Because <laughs> the problem, like the like the way I'm looking at it now, is like Bilal's not gonna be able to like ugly like ugly wrestle Shavkat. So Shavkat is just going to outstrike him and win. And then 
on the other end, if you try to go the striking route and he fights Leon, he's literally just going to stalk Leon down and there's, there's ab absolutely no way he's going to be able. And what would terrify me is if he like knocked out Leon, like the outstruck Leon and knocked him out. And then I'd be like, okay, and he's immortal. That he's immortal. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's Khabib, like, like more terrifying. Yeah. He's a more terrifying Khabib in my opinion, but he's good, dude. Dude, he, he, terrifying but he's such a nice dude he's like the most non-threatening like person i've ever seen in interviews like just so like very peaceful like only wants good things and then he's like yeah but i kill people yeah <laughs> i get paid to kill you people see the videos of him and like the like the wolf like wearing the the wolf as an outfit and shit yeah the mink yeah he has a sniper rifle and he's up <laughs> in like negative 30 degrees and he's like today i'm hunting snow leopards we're like ah what's your favorite animal horse What's your favorite animal to eat? Horse. <laughs> it's good meat. It's good meat. Uh, um, that kind of wraps up our UFC portion of it. We have some more uh, general sports news, which also kind of touches back in UFC. So we might as well just get the UFC all done and out of the way. So the next thing I want to talk about is some upcoming cards, but more specifically, the one that is taking place not too far away from me. And I will be doing my damnedest to get tickets to this. And I hope my co-host, Mr. Fisher can join me in this adventure because I will be going to UFC 299 in the Kaseya center at Miami. Um, the fights that Dana White has announced for this card are absolutely ridiculous. I don't know what happened. Um, I don't know what side chick he has in Miami. I don't know who is diddling his balls under the table in Miami, but this card is insane. There's not, there's not one bad fight on the whole card. One bad fight, including the early prelims. Yeah, dude, we have a prelim fight featuring Rafael dos Anjos and Matsus Gamrot, a former world champion. That is a fight night main event. Any other month of the year. Yeah. My only question is, why not make this the UFC 300 card? Something's like, got to be there. They got. They must have something big. Number one, it's got to be Connor. There's yeah, no, yeah. There's no one else that could headline that. There's no way Connor doesn't fight on UFC 300. I'm sorry, and if he doesn't, it's the biggest fumble of Dana's career. No, no, he, he will, he will, he will. But I mean, let's just go over some of the fights just just that have been announced thus far. Um, I don't have the graphic pulled up. I want to say a but in order from early prelims to main event: CJ Vergara versus Asu Ambalaev, Lauren Murphy versus Karen Silva. Pedro Munoz versus Kyler Phillips. Caitlin, oh, by the way, Kyler Phillips trains uh, Sugar Sean. Remember Pedro and Sugar Sean had a draw? Um, mate, or they had the no contest. Macy Barber, Caitlin, Sarah Manera. Why don't I say that? Gamera versus RDA. Jalen Almeida versus Curtis Blades. Now to the pay-per-view. Jeff Neal, Ian Gary. Gilbert Burns, Jack Della, Madalana. Uh, uh, Peter Yan, Song Yudong. MVP makes his UFC debut versus Kevin Holland. And Sean defends his belt over his only loss, Cheeto Vera. Yeah, that's insane, dude. That MVP Kevin Holland fight. Oh my god, that's gonna be money, dude. Like I can't not afford to go to that fight. Like if I admit, like going to I forget what was it UFC two eighty seven that was in Miami. I don't remember. The one that we went to was a two eighty six. I don't remember. Yeah, regardless, one of the best days of my entire life. Uh, 
Poetan, my Lord and Savior, did die that night, unfortunately. But other than that, uh, admit like top top five would one hundred percent do again, and I will yeah, do it. That was the most fun sporting event I ever went to in my life. Yes, and I I will not miss it again. Now that I've gotten a taste of it, it it's almost like heroin. It's almost like heroin. Like I I got a taste of it, and I I won't necessarily leave the state in search of it, but when it's in my backyard, I'm gonna find it. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to it. So I'm 100 gonna try my best to go to this fight. I hope we're able to make it because we will have tons of content. Last time we went, we ran into Eric Anders, who by the way, a former football player for Alabama. And speaking of football players, uh, this brings me into my next point. Uh, Grayson, I don't know if you saw the tweet from Rashad Mendenhall. Did you see it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but uh, I'm going to pull it up real quick so that way we can kind of discuss it. But pretty much what happened was Rashad Mendenhall gets on Twitter or X, whatever you may call it, and this is what he says. Oh, did he take the tweet down? Oh, no, he didn't. Okay, I'm sick of average white guys commenting on football. Y'all not even good at football. Can we please replace the Pro Bowl with an all-black versus all-white bowl so these cats can stop trying to teach me who's good at football. I'm better than your goat. Um, Immediately, what the comments were under this were, number one, CTE claims another victim, which, by the way, by the way, the CTE comment for football is just the new phrase for calling someone retarded. Because now anytime you say something remotely stupid or dumb, they can just immediately blame it on a brain injury, which you may or may not have, and just say, oh, hey, he's done. Like, yeah. it's over. Which I love, personally, because now every football player immediately has a defense for any take they have for the rest of their lives. Um, they could just say they have a little bit of CTE and they'll be covered. Um, and the second comment point that was raised, which I think is needs to be discussed is if we did the all white versus all black bowl, what team does Mike McDaniels coach for? What team does Patrick Mahomes play for? Is he, does the 50% belong to one side or the other? Now Max Crosby playing. We own him brother. (laughs) But Uh, what's our last thing on here? Wait, hold on. Uh, What I will say though is this. Because I was actually thinking about it if they did do the all-black versus all-white bowl game. Uh, number one, the all-white offensive line would absolutely wreak havoc. And yeah. Christian, McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey would run for four touchdowns. My only problem is the there's, there's no shot in hell we cover Tyreek Hill, so we're running cover there's four. No DBs. We're running cover four. We're running cover four the whole game. That's all that matters. We're just going to pray to God that TJ Watt, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and whatever other white defensive tackle we throw out there – is able to sack, I don't know, Lamar Jackson or Patty, depending on what 50% that he decides. What I say they do is is they pick the all-white, all-black team, and then they do a coin toss to do a biracial draft, like the uh, like the Dave Chappelle skit, and then you go by there. So I think first pick, Patty would go one way. I don't know any other of our biracial players in the NFL. Is Dave Belton biracial? Oh, I don't think so. He just, I, don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him about it. Uh, regardless, would be a very interesting matchup because the Pro Bowl is boring as shit anyway. So why not just turn it into a race war at this game? Uh, another point that was raised that was really good about this: if it was a bowl game, who do you think 
would sponsor the race bowl. Now I have some off the top of my head that I read. Um, number one, Duke's mayonnaise. Number two, Popeye's chicken. Uh, I forget the number three slot. But regardless, we could have a ton of sponsors uh, sponsoring this event. I would love to see it. But regardless, uh, gr good job, Rashad Ben and all. Uh, possible bait turned into a all-time debate. But next up, Chip Kelly. I want to talk about Chip Kelly for a little bit. Uh, he talked about, or he was asked in an interview recently about the recent deal with NIL, college football playoff, conference alignment, all this stuff. And they asked him, how do you fix it? And Chip Kelly gave probably, arguably, the greatest take I've ever heard any man say in the current realm of NCAA football. Because, look, let's be honest. We opened up Pandora's box with this whole NIL shit. We did not try to put any boundaries on it. We literally just let it to the world, and we are starting to see the worst outcomes in all phases. Like the worst of the worst is getting exposed. It's professionalized now. It's TV market driven. It's no, there's no amateurism in it anymore. Um, I, I really don't. As a football fan, yeah, I like it. But as a college, like college football fan, I'm not that big of a fan. The amateurism is lost on me a little bit. It just feels like you can just up and leave and go to any school. It's different teams every year. It, it's hard to root for guys, in my opinion. But did you see the video of what he said? Yeah, I liked it. Um, I liked it a lot. It just makes too much sense. And that's the issue. It's never going to happen. Yeah. What I think the biggest thing that's holding him back is there's so many TV deals now with like SEC Network, ACC Network, or yeah, ACC Network. You showed that it's a business first and they're always going to do business first. Yeah, they're always going to do business first. Even though like if you like if you just redo it, the model would be 10 times better this way. Like the like here's what I don't understand. And here's what kills me. Yes, the TV market and that drives a lot of what they do. But if you just do what's best for the game, the TV and the market will follow. Like it will follow in short order. It will adjust to the best way possible. And they talked about the uh, coach Jason Brown released a video about this because I like listening to his takes sometimes. Man, man has played been in football for a while. He has some takes from time sometimes to time. He's, sometimes he's money. Yeah, sometimes he's on point. And he said it best. He said the 12 team playoff doesn't give more opportunity for lesser teams to get a chance. It just puts more of the big market teams in. He's like, you just saw a undefeated power five team get left out of the playoff. You think they're going to respect any 13 and 0 group of five when there's one loss SEC and big 10 schools? He goes, no, they, they don't care. And they never will care. Never. And if, honestly, if you look at it in the FCS, the FCS has a what? 16 team playoff or something crazy like that? Or is it 12? I more. I think it's, 32 is it 32 it's big For yeah top, first top top eight seeds get a buy yeah well think of it this way in the fcs with the 32 team playoff no team outside the top four has ever won the natty no team outside the top four has ever won the natty yeah you have some upsets here or there but like usually the one or two preseason seeds end up winning it all anyway or the seeds. are you sure no no team outside the top four has won it I saw today. You can look it up. Sort of no team outside the top, and I'm pretty sure no team outside the top three has 
won it other than like once or twice. Damn. Yeah. So the fourth, like the fourth and three seed win it like once every five years, but like, it's usually always the one or two seed ends up bringing it home. So it just like, again, you're, you're just going to see more teams. You don't want to see in there. You're going to see teams get left out. That shouldn't have been left out. Like it, it is what it is. Regardless though, I do hope it gets fixed at some point, or I hope we see some ramifications for some of the actions, but whatever. And other football news. Um, Steeler safety, I forget his name, but he's suspended for the rest of the year for his hit on Michael Pittman Jr. If you haven't seen the video, it's bad. But Tom Brady spoke out about this and he goes, this is the exact problem I'm talking about. A guy has no other option to make a play on the football and the quarterback faces no ramifications for throwing a literal hospital ball and getting his receiver killed. Instead, they're only punishing defensive players and this guy is going to have to set out for the rest of the year when, quite frankly, I don't see how he could have done anything different. And yeah, you say like, oh, well, you don't lead. You don't lead with your head. First of all, the guy is perfectly horizontal. There's no other object on his body that he could have hit. Secondly, didn't even hit him head to head. He hit him with his shoulder and the top of the chest plate. But because he's horizontal, his body folded like a backwards lawn chair. So honestly, as about as textbook as it gets, because if that was 10 years ago, the safety would have also gone horizontal and yeah. actually ended that man's life. And he would have never played football again. Yeah. Ever. Like Michael Pittman's career would have ended right then and there. But regardless, I'm tired of seeing defensive players get punished for just playing the game hard. It honestly feels like everything's such in favor for offenses that it's such a joke. Like I hate it so much. Like they used to say defensive wins championships. That's not the case anymore. I'm sorry, but like, no, it, it's so offensive driven. And we'll end on this last point. Uh, the Brock Purdy Drew Brees comparisons need to stop. We need, we need to calm down. This kid is in what his first year, second year, uh, second year. Yeah. But I do think he gets over hate. I do think he gets over hated. Yeah. I don't think he's on Drew Brees level, but I do think he gets over hated. I do think he gets overhated. I do think he's a very talented quarterback and he would find some success on other teams. But here's the other argument I don't get is they're like, Oh, if you put him on the Panthers, like he wouldn't be doing this. Like, yeah, no shit. You could put prime Tom Brady on the Panthers and he probably missed the playoffs. Yeah. They're God awful. Like terrible teams are terrible teams. Not because they have a good quarterback or not. How is it Brock Purdy's fault that he's doing everything he's supposed to do with the team he's on? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, and it goes to, to the other point, because did you see the thing where Cam Newton was getting flamed about uh, his comments about game managers? Yes. Yeah, so here's what people also need to understand. Being a game manager isn't an insult. If you are an elite game manager, you are Tom Brady, you are Peyton Manning. You're a Hall of Famer. You are a Hall of Famer if you are an elite game manager. All that means is you don't make any, like, like you don't do the extraordinary. You just do the right thing every time. Yeah. And that's what I feel like Brock, Brock Purdy. The thing is though, is Brock Purdy does have a little bit of the, that Drew Brees-esque-ness where he has that ability to roll out and make plays with his arm outside the pocket, but it's not to the consistency and level that Drew Brees is doing it. Drew Brees was literally taking undesignated free agents and turning them into pro bowlers which was insane. Yeah, also, dude, this kid's in the second year of his career. He had a lot of time, man. Yeah, a lot of time. A lot of time. A lot of time. Like, pump the brakes. 
pump the brakes. But regardless, uh, I have nothing more to say. I'm tired. I need to go to bed. Yeah. Um, final words for the evening. Screw the college football playoff. I still believe that firmly. I know Florida State has like like five or six players sitting out now for the Georgia game. So we're going to get probably gonna be more. It's, it's probably going to keep going up. Yeah, we're probably going to get curb stomped so bad that I, I don't even feel like going to social media and defending what's going to happen at that game. Because I'm pretty sure I, I haven't heard one Georgia player announce an opt-out. Yeah. Except Brock Bowers. But uh, the, at this point, it's... My only final words is Cornell was not ducking. Yeah. If you know Mike, if you know Mike Gray looks out for his guys. We are, we are Cornell faithful. Cornellinians. Cornellinians on the clocks in the stove pond. <laughs>